And now it's time to bait our hooks, cast our nets, drop our poles in the water, and fish for some jokes with Down on the Dock. Welcome to episode 67 of Down on the Docks. My name's Chris Neff. Uh, I'm joined, as always, by my producing partner and co-host, Dave Sarah. How you doing, buddy? Hello. Yeah, we're back. Um, you know, yes. it's mid-November, so you know what that means around here. Halloween uh, in November continues. Yeah. Oh, right, <laughs> okay. right. The reason I decided really to... drop these non-sequitur questions on me that no, I just don't know how well, to They're answer. not non-sequiturs if sure. you pay attention. What do you mean? I've been talking about this. What happens in November? Halloween in November. I'm sure. trying to capture the market uh-huh. of people that don't want Halloween to end. Well, they want that. This is, uh, and then we'll and then we'll we'll roll right into uh, Halloween in December, which Maybe. is uh, Christmas nightmare. What is Probably it? nightmare before Christmas. Yeah, but that's not a documentary. The point it's is not. this. No, <laughs> oh, the shit. point is this. Um, we, it's claymation, dude. I, it is claymation. It's not a. It's not, it's not Doc Mache, is it? <laughs> The point is this. We had uh, our first part of Halloween in November where we covered the devil on trial, parts one and two. And last week, I left everybody with a cliffhanger as to what the rest of Halloween in November was going to be. Because the original documentary I had, I couldn't find the script. Mm -hmm. Now, you know me, Dave. I always got a sleeve card up my sleeve. Known you for like a year, dude. (laughs) It's really not that long, like in the grand scheme of things. It's longer than that. Yeah, the, po- the point is, I always have a backup plan. Yeah, plan now, B. I didn't want to pull this out of my hat because I'm not going to lie to you. It's in the top ten of all time of my favorite documentaries. Yeah, right. I'm serious. That I just named two skating movies in a row. Oh, okay. Plan B and then yeah, right. Sorry, okay. go on. You know my favorite documentarian is who, Dave? Fucking, um, um, I got it. I can't even name a Errol Morris. I don't can't even name one documentarian. We did tabloid. Great. Remember when we talked about tabloid by Errol Morris? Which one was tabloid? When the the manacled Mormon, the Joyce, she goes over. Remember, she put uh, the DNA. She she cloned her dogs. Dave was one of our our, the only time on this show I've fallen Uh, out of my chair laughing. Uh huh. The manacled Mormon case. Got it. The point is this. Oh, that was the that was the dad gave the other man a jerky, a the jerk other, sesh, a little uh, hand job. No, oh. that's abducted in plain sight. Oh yeah, that was a good one. Okay, that's Sky Boardman. That was the carjack. That was carjack. Yes, that was <laughs> carjack. Okay, so, I don't know. I need a I need a catchphrase. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll see if I can remember. I think I already got one. No, no, I don't mean I need the catchphrase to be reminded of oh, what the okay. episode is. Okay, well, Dave. Before we get started, you know me. I like to tell new listeners who are just discovering the show what this show is all about. Now, normally I ask you, yeah, but I'm you baked, but you kind of fuck things up. Yeah, I'm baked. So for those of you just joining us, Down on the Docks is a show where me, uh, as a huge, huge fan of documentaries, uh, decides to sit down and tell Dave the documentary I watched last week in thorough detail. Yes. At the end of this podcast, Dave will then make a decision if he's going to watch the right. documentary. Now, Dave, we're 67. This is our 67th episode. How many of our documentaries have you watched? Zero. I have a feeling that's going to well, break today. Okay, hold on. 
zero after the fact. I have some of these. Yes. A couple of them I had already seen. Yes. Which are mostly the video game ones. Yeah. I have a feeling you are going to want to watch this documentary. Are you? Okay. This document. Oh, before we get by into. The, go by ahead. the way, um, for anybody looking for sponsors out there, um, I will gladly watch your documentary for a fee. So now there's an idea. There you go. Okay. Um, Maybe now, a little Patreon. Now, Dave, before we get into episode 67, Sup. why Sup, don't you doggy. tell our listeners yep. who are gracious and kind to leave us comments and give us support what else they can do to help us on this show. Go to Apple Podcasts. Leave a five-star review. Tell me you hate me. Tell me how much I suck. Tell me that I'm always clogged in the nose. But you can also go to Spotify and leave us a review on each uh, episode. Yeah, that's true. They are a little stricter over there. You got to actually like watch a couple episodes before they let you review. So Same thing with the Apple. hardcore fans. Same thing with Apple. Apple, yeah, I guess you're right. Yeah. Uh, they, um, yes. So uh, leave us uh, good reviews, and um, you know maybe you get, might get read on here. Dave, what also follow us on Discord. You can follow us on Twitter at Down on the Docks. Follow us on Instagram at Down on the Docks Pod, and send us an email at Down on the Docks at Gmail and of course, your suggestions are always welcome. So on any of those platforms, go ahead and send us a request yeah. for your chosen documentary. We always get to them. Mm -hmm. I mean, unless they're lame. Yeah. And if I can find a script on it, we'll do it. So um, before we get into this week's episode, can you let our listeners know who this week's episode is sponsored by? This week's episode of Down in the Docks is brought to you by Broccoli Farms, established in 2016 San Diego. By the way, Broccoli Farms... 619 on Instagram. Mm -hmm. San Diego, California by Candace entrepreneur Anthony Bird, our friend Anthony. Nice guy. Never met him. Great guy. Never met him. Broccoli Farms is a modern take on cannabis brands around the world. By combining new terminology involving cannabis worldwide, Anthony created a cannabis brand that uniquely represents the entire cannabis industry as one. Broccoli Farms. How many times did I say cannabis in that sentence? Three, four, maybe four, five. Four. I think four times. You know what? That's also my fault. The lowest delivery minimum in San Diego, bar none. All right. Marijuana cigarettes. Sticky straps. Okay. Episode 67, Dave. I'm very excited. How are you? Yep. Great. You're going to want to watch it. Mm -hmm. um, the title is yes. Mr. Death, Ooh. The Rise and Fall of Fred A. Luchter Jr., it was huh. released in 1999. Somehow, Mr. Death is better than the last name of Luchter. Well, it's weird because you're going to find out in this uh, episode, yes. nobody consistently pronounces his name correctly. Okay. So, Lecter. Yeah. So, you kind of get that Lecter vibe going uh -huh. too. <laughs> Directed by my all time favorite documentarian, Errol Morris. Got it. Um, the film begins. We hear like a, one of those. Da, 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 it's like, like an instrumental, da, 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 yeah, yeah, bar, marching band like, shit. Yeah, like a like an, uh, we call that a we call that a step off in the game. Oh, is that what it's called? Yeah. Well, it's very powerful, and the credits start rolling in, and we see a strobe light, and lots of like electricity coming in, uh, crackling on an electrostatic generator. You know those things. Like you see them at, you ever go to like, it's like a, a museum? black ball? Yeah. You stick your hand the science your fair. Hair, your hair sticks yeah. up and shit. Cool. You see a lot of that kind of yeah, shit yeah, yeah, going yeah, on yeah, in the yeah. background. And as the music intensifies, <laughs> yeah, we get uh, a brief indistinctive flash of uh, a picture of a middle-aged man wearing uh, just, you know, those Coke bottle glasses. Sure. Seen to the future. Yeah. Got it. Um, and, you know, he's kind of sitting around and you kind of like, what is he in? And he's like in these various pieces of metal and wood and 
leather strapping, and you can't really figure BDSM, out. BDSM. Yeah, that's uh-huh. kind of what it looks like. Ah, little gimp stats. Yeah, almost like a mad scientist from the Cold War, mm-hmm. you know, era. Well, after the climax of the battle march and the end of the opening credits, we oddly transition into a very calm, serene, and black and white footage. By of, the way. Yeah? Mad scientists in like any era kind of like always looks the same, right? Not this one. No, this one specifically screamed out America versus communism? No, no. This one screams out um, weirdo. But oh, I'm going to describe it. Got it. So the the guy that we end up seeing, again, huge Coke bottle glasses. He's probably mid-50s. He's very nebbish looking. He's got like the comb over. Yeah. You know what I mean? I know. Very unattractive man. And Reminds you of a specific dictator. Which one are you thinking of? Hitler. No, not he's not Hitler looking. No? No, I mean, I'm just saying the comb over part. Yeah, he's got the comb over hair. No mustache or anything like that. Oh, okay. But he's got these goofy looking fucking teeth. Mm-hmm. There's not like a gap in between them like mine, which is cool. They're just sure. kind of, they're just weird looking. And they're big. Well, this is Fred A. Luchter. Okay? Uh-huh. So Fred introduces himself. Fred he says... I uh, became involved in the manufacture of execution equipment. Oh boy! Because I was concerned with the deplorable condition of the hardware uh-huh. that's in most of the state's prisons, mm-hmm. which generally results in torture prior to death. Oh boy! A number of years ago, I was asked by a state to look at their electric chair. All I was right. uh, surprised at the condition of the uh, equipment. And I indicated that uh, changes should be made to bring uh, the equipment uh, to the uh, point of doing a humane execution. Beyond making recommendations for changes, I sat down on my own, uh, on my own time and at my own expense, and made a new design and new equipment available to the states utilizing electrocution at a price far lower than they would have to deal with if they hired an engineering firm to redesign a specific uh, item. The equipment is all standardized. It all meets the current electrical requirements for electrocution. And the pricing is such that it's similar to what you pay for off-the-shelf item, even though uh, it's made up. uh, They essentially pay for the parts, the labor installation, and then a 20% markup, which is more than fair. Right. (laughs) So... (laughs) This yep. guy, uh, this guy's, uh, <laughs> so what? He recreated the electric chair? He retrofits electric chairs. Uh huh. Okay. It was, is it, what year is this happening? This was 1999. This came out. And like before that, what were they just doing like the big handle the with switch? the switch? <laughs> it's funny you mentioned <laughs> with that. With the fucking plate on the head and shit. <laughs> well, he, the, they show him in a lot of these scenes and it's a leather helmet. Yeah. He's always got a leather helmet. Like, in the scenes, he's got the leather helmet. Yeah, he likes oh. to play with the helmet. Oh, it's boy. kind of fucking weird. Well, put a ball gag on him, too? Yeah. Oh, uh-huh. boy. Well, we see some... Um, <laughs> like Sometimes I like to give him a little electrocution <laughs> when it. I'm putting it in his asshole. Bring out the gimp. <laughs> <laughs> Bring it. Well, yeah. we see some of uh, the mathematical equations and engineering plans that he's drawn up. And then we see Fred in an old video footage... Um, demonstrating his electric chair. Now he says, on we, "What? Just the a chair? Dog? No, not uh, on anybody. I would have used the dog. No, no, no. This is just before you get to the dog or nah. the monkey. You start with the dog. We are testing. Just go the- around looking for a fucking. <laughs> 
a mangy mutt. Grab it by its collar and throw him into the chair. Okay, so we got PETA already on our backs, yeah, yeah, and we're eight then. minutes in. Come on. We are testing the electrocution system here at the Tennessee State Prison. This is connected to the uh, execution system in place of the electric chair. And the system thinks this is a human body. It consists of a series of heavy-duty resistors cooled, cooled by four fans. I will now switch on the fans <laughs> and begin the cooling process. We yeah, then oh proceed boy. to the power supply. We turn on the main circuit breaker. You can see the voltage has increased to 2,640 volts. Oh, boy. Now we begin the test at the control console for the electric chair. We turn the fail system on to operation. Now, fail system, they've got two different keys. So it yeah. does this. this. These machines look like they're from the 60s or 70s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll power that up real quick. You see the buttons come on. Computer on. More lights. And then, of course, I push the button for operation. The human body is not easy to destroy. And it's not easy to take a life humanely and painlessly without doing a great deal of damage to the individual's uh, body. Excess current cooks the tissue. Now, <laughs> we see some strange and slowed down black and white footage of Fred gazingly loving like he's gazing lovingly at yeah. his machine yeah and he's got this creepy smile oh god and this these guy really big wide eyes well you see if you wear rubber shoes and you turn it on at a low voltage you can proceed to fuck the man in the ass <laughs> it seems to be getting a little electric shock on your cock there, there have been occasions where if you want to use a lady you can use a lady too <laughs> There have been occasions where a great amount of current has been applied. Current. And uh, the meat will come off the executee's oh. uh, body. Don't call it meat. Like meat coming off a cooked chicken. Yeah. <laughs> now, I had the same reaction. Who the fuck calls muscle on a human yeah. meat? Yeah. Ugh. And who compares it to a chicken? Uh, the execution must be conducted in two jolts. In one 240th part of a second, the first jolt disrupts or destroys the individual central nervous system. Mm. Current is then applied for a time approaching one minute. The adrenaline is being driven out of the bloodstream. Now, this was interesting to me. According to this, in one 240th part of a second, that first jolt completely destroys the individual central nervous system. Yeah. So I took that to mean, like, once it happens, you can't feel anything. Yeah. Boy, was I wrong. Yeah. <laughs> they have my guys fucking just screaming for a minute straight. You're going to hear about it. Oh, boy. The second jolt now seizes uh, the pacemaker a second time. Again, Is that like a heart? Yeah. He's just he's referring, referring to, to it as a heart, <laughs> yeah, as a pacemaker? Yeah. What a fucking creep. I know. Now, there's no adrenaline left to uh, restart the pacemaker. Now, I have to remove my penis, because at this point, he will remove his excrement from his manus. We're going to talk about excrement. Yeah, boy. The person is now dead. If the voltage does not exceed 2,000 volts uh, throughout the execution, the individual's pacemaker is not permanently seized. In some 20 minutes, 
30 minutes later, the individual's heart restarts itself on its own, and the person is now alive again. Oh, my God. <laughs> so, apparently, if you don't hit the threshold of 2640 volts, it acts as a defibrillator yeah. and just restarts your shit. Oh now, that doesn't mean your head's there. No, you're okay? just... You're, but your body's gone. Yeah, it's mel- your head's melted. Your monkey brain stew. They would call. They would have to call all the witnesses back. Strap the vegetable back into the chair <laughs> and re-electrocute him. He's just not. He's just going at this. Huh? I think so he's, he's, he's. This is the guy. He's the main focal point of the yeah, documentary. Yeah, and if you haven't, Mister Death, picked up on it. He's. You can't see retarded anymore. What is the uh, new term wait, wait, for wait, social? Wait, hold on, hold on. No, you can't. Autistic. No, we we used to say socially awkward. retarded. You what do you say? Awkward. No, no. There's got to be a new term for socially retarded. Re-re. No, like socially. I don't know what it is. There's. I mean, people use that tism a lot. They use the tiz. Uh, they, he's got socially uh, awkward. awkward um, I guess awkward. He's a, um, uh, a sh- socially a deficient. What's, what's the what do they call a shut in like a, a, a recluse, a hermit, uh, like a hermit? Yeah, I'm trying to think of the other word. Well, he continues. There's no difference in a life support system and an execution system. Uh, the system has to function flawlessly for the first time that it's operating. With a life support system, if it doesn't function, the person dies. With an execution system, if it doesn't function flawlessly, the person lives, but he doesn't live as a human being. He lives He's as... Shivoed out, huh? He- <laughs> Fucking shivoed. Remember he- all those yeah. hacky-ass jokes about... Hey, fucking vegetable. His name is Terry Shiva. I do. God. He now lives as an injured, brain dead vegetable, which is probably far worse than being executed. Yeah. Now, just I'm a little curious here. Sure. Is it even like? Do I don't even know? Do people still refer to vegetable? Is that fucking disparaging <laughs> towards people that are like brain dead? I bet you can't even say that anymore. Brain dead is probably a little insensitive. Well, um, but um. What is the, yeah, well, I wonder what the current uh, medical term, I'll look it up actually. Yeah, if you want. Well, we see more grainy black and white footage of Fred, and these are home movies. So we see Fred as a young boy with his father. And Fred says, my father worked in the Massachusetts correctional system. He was a superintendent of transportation for many years. The first at the old state prison in Charlestown, and then at the new prison in Wapole, which has now since been renamed Cedar Junction. All right. They actually use the word vegetative. Vegetative? Yeah. Okay. Vegetative states. Yeah. They still use that. But you can't say vegetable. No, you wouldn't call them a vegetable. It's either, and then it's either comatose or it seems like the more PC term now is non response. Okay. By the way, non responsive. Vegetable, one of my favorite Radiohead songs. Uh, Fred, he's talking about growing up with his dad who worked in the prison. He says, as many, I'm some peas, I'm some carrots, <laughs> am I a potato? Is that tomato, you trying to don't do belong, Tom, Tom tomato from Radiohead? Don't belong here. Oh, I see what you're doing. Tim, I'm doing a song. I'm yeah, doing, yeah. that's my favorite. That's vegetable. Right. That's Radiohead vegetable. No. Oh, uh, Radiohead? Was I doing Bush right now? 
You were doing Radiohead, yeah, but not Radiohead. vegetable. You yeah. were doing Creep. Creep. Yeah, I know. Okay. Creep. I was trying to make a joke Put about Creep. Way. There's no way you know the song Vegetable Never from Radiohead. It. No. I um, am not 50 years old. Neither am I. Yet. Back to Fred reminiscing about growing up with his dad, the executioner. Not the executioner. His dad, the transportation worker at the, the, the old state prison in Charlestown. Yeah. As many youngsters do, I went to work with my father. I'd been accompanying him to work since I was four years old. I visited all the cell areas, including the death house area. I was in the same room that people like Sacho and Vanzetti were executed in. That sounds safe. Sancho. He just calls him Sancho. Sacho. Sacho. Now, give me a little Simpsons music, please. Well, you can't just say Sacho and Vanzetti were executed in this chair and not tell me who the fuck they are. You know, I got to know. So I did a little digging, and I'm going to tell you about Sacho and Vanzetti. Or Vanzetti, excuse me. Um, Nicola Sacho, born 1891, died 1927. And Bartolomeo Vanzetti, born 1888, died 27, same date. They were Italian immigrant anarchists, anarchists who were controversially convicted of murdering uh, a couple of dudes. One was a guard and one was a paymaster um, in Ooh, the 1920s. What's a paymaster? He's the guy that hands out the cash. Oh, um, pretty straightforward. Yeah. In a night, 19- paymaster. <laughs> Obey your paymaster. Anyway, paymaster of puppets, your problem. <laughs> it was an armed robbery at a, a, um, the Slater and Morrill Shoe Company in Braintree, Massachusetts. Well, seven years later, they were executed in the electric chair in Charlestown State Prison, this very prison where, of course, Fred was sitting in the chair where they died. Yeah, after three minutes of cook time <laughs> in the microwave. So <laughs> they fucking, I wonder how many fuses they blew. At the time, anti-Italianism, anti-immigrant, and anti-anarchist bias were suspected as having... (laughs) I like how they put those all on the same level. Of course. uh, Were suspected as having heavily influenced the verdict. Well, as details of the trial... It's fucking Guinea. (laughs) (laughs) And the men suspected innocence became known, Sacho and Vanzetti became the center of one of the largest causes celeb in modern history. In 1927, protests on their behalf were held in every major city in North America and Europe, as well as Tokyo, Sydney, Melbourne, Sao Paulo, Rio, Buenos Aires, Dubai, Montevideo, Johannesburg, and Auckland. I mean, this is a worldwide phenomenon back in the day. Well, as they awaited their execution in their cells at Charlestown State Prison, both men refused a priest several times on their last day as they were atheists. Well, at Langhorne Funeral Home... They're like, why would I want to get fucked right now? (laughs) In Boston's North End, more than 10,000 mourners viewed Sacho and Vanzetti in open caskets over two days. At the funeral parlor, a wreath of the caskets announced... um, This is in Italian, so I'm just going to translate it. Awaiting the hour of vengeance. Oh, it's awaiting the hour of vengeance. On Sunday... with your hands. (laughs) August 28th. A two-hour funeral procession bearing huge floral tributes moved through the city. 
thousands of marchers took pro- part in the procession, and over 200,000 people came out to watch. Get out of here. It's a lot of fucking people, dude. For a couple Italian wops? Mm-hmm. Um, so the hearses reached the cemetery, where after a brief eulogy... <laughs> See, the fucking hate for the Italians is still strong. Absolutely. The bodies were crema- cremated. Well, on August 23rd, 1977, the 50th anniversary of their executions, um, Massachusetts Governor Michael Dukakis issued a proclamation. <laughs> They're pardoned for all their crimes. <laughs> well, he Thanks, said Sacho and Vanzetti had been unfairly tried and convicted and that any disgrace should be ever forever removed for their names. He did not pardon them because that would imply they were guilty. I don't think, but neither I don't did he, he assert their innocence. Is it governor, you said? Yeah, it was Michael Dukakis. He ran was for it a, president was it a in gover- Was it a government crime? Was it a no. state crime? Was it a state crime yeah. that they committed? Yeah. yeah. I guess he could have pardoned them. Apparently not. He just wanted to be like, hey, man, 50 years ago, we probably fucked up. I guess you can't pardon guys. somebody who's dead. Sure you can. You can pardon somebody who's dead? Yeah, of course. Hmm. Anyway. His title's been expunged. He's no longer on probation. And take us out of the Simpsons episode. Back to Fred. I uh, learned a number of things from the inmates that normally would uh, be illegal, but have proved very useful in my later life. Things like picking locks, cracking safes, and I learned all kinds of strange things as a youngster. I came into the action execution this guy, this field. Such a creep, dude. Oh, he's. I'm what is, telling you, describe this him is to why you. What I does did. he look like? Okay, so he's probably five and a half feet tall. Oh, he's God. not fat. He's normal looking. Yeah, glasses. Huge Coke bottle glasses. Yeah, you mentioned that. Um, comb over. Comb over. Okay, I was. I was goofy I, fucking teeth. I wasn't sure if you mentioned that. Not an attractive t- man. Tall, tall or fat? No, not an attractive. Is man. he bald? Okay, but is he like balding underneath the bit. Comb, comb over? Okay. Yeah. Cleanly shaven. Yeah. Professional. He sells execution machinery. Yeah. You get him to be able to close the deal. This guy shows up in a fucking three-piece brown suit. Uh, it's brown. Okay. And, you know, smells of fucking Old Spice aftershave. Yeah. He's a, he's a salt of the earth hard worker. Okay. Okay. So he learns how to pick locks and crack safes and all yeah. this shit. And he says, I uh, came into the execution field from uh, a backdoor standpoint because I was very concerned (laughs) about the humanitarian aspect of death by torture, similar to what happened in the state of Florida uh, two years ago with Mr. Jesse uh, Tafaro, where they actually set the man's head on fire. Oh, boy. Um, Once the chair broke in half in the state of New York... Uh, an individual lay writhing on the floor of the death chamber, crying for 34, 40 minutes, while the carpenters repaired the chair. Well, they burnt the transformer up. Fortunately, oh due to quick thinking of uh, the prison electrician, they had some cable. They ran some wires over the prison wall and tapped into the outside power line without consent of the power company. But there was no objection at the time. <laughs> now... FYI, oh boy! Have you heard? Ever heard the election? Uh, election? Uh, the chair called Old Sparky before? No, yeah. <laughs> I don't. I, I have. I haven't purchased any uh, electric chair trading cards yet. Well, this came from that prison in New York, which was that chair wasted a lot of fucking people, and it was so popular, it was named Old Sparky. Yeah. 
They had one execution where the Transformer caught on fire and blew up. And it occurred in such a sequence that all it did was knock the individual unconscious. He came out of it with no apparent brain injury, uh, no problem at all. Six months later, they repaired the electric chair, and they did successfully execute him. <laughs> uh, oh but he was very lucky. He was hit with a full jolt of electricity. The equipment blew up, burned up, and he walked away with that without any damage. Not even a burn. Wow. One by one, I determined that this state's equipment was not functional. This state's equipment was not functional. Then suddenly, one day I said, none of this equipment is functional. Many of the electric chairs were built by inmates and electricians who had no idea of what they were building. They took a picture of another state's electric chair and they made something that looked like it. So at this point, we see grainy footage, um, very old, and we see a title come up called Electrocuting an Elephant. Now, this film was made by Thomas Edison in 1903. Whoa, it was real? Yes. Whoa, sick. I did some digging. There's no Simpsons music necessary, but uh, research actually did this for me. The film documents the publicly announced killing of an elephant named Topsy. I remember this. You do? I've heard of Topsy and uh, Edison. I've heard of that reference a lot, a few times. Well, this was at the end. being the Simpsons. This was at the unfinished Luna Park on Coney Island mm-hmm. um, yeah. on January 4th, 1903. Well, the elephant had recently been acquired from Four Paws Circus, where she had a reputation as a, quote, bad, unquote, elephant. Having killed a drunken spectator the previous year who burnt the tip of her trunk with a lit cigar. Now, I think that's a little harsh on the elephant. It's not a bad elephant if somebody comes up and burns your fucking trunk. You're just self-preservation. Well, after several incidents at Luna Park, uh, sometimes attributed to the actions of her handler, William Whitey Alt, the owners of Luna Park, uh, Frederick Thompson and Elmer Skip Dundee, claimed they would no longer handle the elephant and announced they would hang Topsy in a public spectacle and charge admission. Huh. Times were fucked up back then. Yeah. They were a little different. Come see the incredible bearded woman <laughs> while we also execute Topsy. Well, here's my question. How the fuck do you hang an elephant? Is there a rope on the planet that's heavy enough to fucking hold an elephant? I'm sure there's a hacky from his trunk kind of a stupid thing. Well, this is when the American Society of the Pre- uh, Prevention of Cruelty to Animals stepped in. I'm assuming they're the precursor to PETA. PETA. And they're questioning the idea of hanging an elephant as well as making a public spectacle out of the death of this gorgeous animal. Well, Thompson and Dundee cut the event back to invite only and press only and agreed to use a sure method of strangling the elephant with large ropes tied to a steam-powered winch. They also agreed they would use poison and electricity as well. So the 74-second film... Jesus Christ. Yeah, I know. It's fucking sadistic. Opens with a standard Edison Studios credit that says, Electrocuting an Elephant, Thomas A. Edison. And then it cuts, and you see Topsy being led past a crowd of people through Luna Park to the execution spot. And um, an island in the middle of a lagoon, which was used for boat rides, 
that's where they put the fucking topsy. Well, the, the camera stops at that point, and uh, an intervening hour and 45 minutes are not recorded. Huh. During this unrecorded interval, Topsy refused to cross... Did he get a giant sponge No. Nope. to put on the top of the head? No. Nope. That was the thing that they used to have to do, right? That's what the they do in with uh, uh, lecture chairs. You yeah, got to yeah. wet the brain yeah. for conductivity purposes. <laughs> well, but weren't they going to electrocute the motherfucker? We're getting to it. Oh, I see. Okay. They were, yeah, but they're <laughs> like, they're like, all right, roll film. And they're like, hold on, hold on, cut, cut. The fucking animal is not going where we needed to go, yeah. which is in the water. Right. So anyway, uh, it won't cross the bridge. Well, you can lead an elephant to water, but you can't make it hang itself. But the park employees and Brooklyn Edison electricians, they re-rig the strangling apparatus and electrical wires to where Topsy stood. So like, we got to move all of our shit that we had prepared in the fucking lagoon and bring oh, it over to Topsy. Sorry, but that didn't work either. Yeah. So then they give Topsy his last meal, which was carrots laced with cyanide. Oh, great! Wait, does cyanide kill elephants the same it's way? Gonna it it's gonna help. <laughs> it's gonna help. <laughs> These people are so fucking stupid. Well, I mean, it's nineteen oh three. But then they're like. They pull out these specially made copper-clad sandals, okay. and they strap Topsy's feet Ooh. into the copper-clad sandals. That'll help with electrocution. They attack the electrical wires, and they strap Topsy in. And then the film restarts, and Topsy, you see him with the bridge over the lagoon in the original execution spot. The park's electric tower with a sign advertising, opening May 2nd, 1903, Luna Park, $1 million exposition, the heart of Coney Island. That's what the sign says in the background. Well, they flipped a switch. Yeah. Do you see like his like bone structures? Like You see, the- no, it's not like the cartoons. <laughs> like it's not like the cartoons. <laughs> this is like, does his fucking trunk go straight and no, like start to wiggle? No, he fucking flips his... Uh, Hoofs or paws? What's a what's an elephant's feet? Trunk? I guess. No, 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 no. Uh, the, the the feet. What, what are they called? Yeah, I thought elephant they're called feet. <laughs> okay, I guess. So, <laughs> so feet. he fucking shakes his feet, and the sandals are fucking not staying on. And then, oh god, Topsy stiffens up, and they drop sixty six hundred volts. So effectively, Jesus. three times what it takes to kill a man. Yeah, and then you just see smoke rising from Topsy's feet, and then. No pun intended. Topsy topples to the ground. <laughs> yeah, he just fucking falls. Yeah. How long did the charge go for? Uh, I'm guessing a minute. Wow. Now, then you see the thing fall to the ground. Well, there's a noose around its neck. They got to start tugging on the noose still. <laughs> <laughs> ah, what do you mean? They got to. They wanted to make sure. Yeah. They, they did cyanide hanging and feet electrocution. Yeah. Wow. That is some intense. Three layered. I told you if I, when I go, like if I do myself in, I'm I'm doing you're the three to, step you're process. Going to the topsy. No, I'm here's what I'm doing. Okay. I'm standing. No, I, I'm I'm standing on a piece of dry ice. Okay, and then uh, noose around my neck. Okay, and then shotgun. Okay, what does the dry ice do? Burns your feet. Why? What does that have to do? It's going to hurt more. It's going to help. <laughs> Fucking retarded, dude. So, 
Um, that's all I could think of yeah. for the bottom part. All right. So we get back to Fred and he's hanging out in the garage, right? And you could tell it's not a cool looking place. It kind of reminded me of the basement from Silence of the Lambs. Torture chamber. There's a lot of fucking shit on the walls, bro. It's like just, actual human no, shit? No, like oh. fucking straps and wood yeah. and helmets and all yeah. kinds of shit. And he says, well, these are my shackles. Tennessee contacted me with the construction of their new prison. I was asked to inspect the equipment at the old facility and make a determination of what could be salvaged. The only consideration was that they wanted to maintain the electric chair, which they had in place since 1898. The reason being that the wood from the electric chair not only had the tradition of all the electrocution... Fuck these people, dude. <laughs> Fucking crazy. But it also served as the wood from their gallows. These are your bureaucrats, people. This wood had been used as a hanging gallows. Fucking then they transferred Republicans it. Republicans are crazy, doggy. And they were like, this wood's got a lot of history. The chair itself was much smaller than one would expect. It looked more like it was made to accommodate a youngster or a woman. So we essentially made the chair <laughs> wider and we made the chair higher. Yeah. We supplied them with a completely new power supply so there's no excess of cooking. And then finally, because we were unable to match, he doesn't want him turning into chicken and beef. Jesus Christ. And then finally, because we are unable to match the old wood with the new oak, it became uh, necessary for us to paint the chair with a special high-quality epoxy paint, the same paint that NASA used uh, on the nose and body of the space shuttle. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm sure that's where its 20% markup comes from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Okay, well, we also... Um, meet Fred's stepson, Steve, who was there and he was on hand and describes the arrival of the Tennessee electric chair the day it showed up to Fred's house. And we see the crate in front of the house. Jesus. And, uh, you know. It's here, everybody. It's yeah, here. It's a huge box. And they hey, got- Grandpa, can I go sit in it real quick? <laughs> <laughs> okay, get in. You hear Steve. Everybody can sit in it. <laughs> can I, I want to eat my lunch in it. <laughs> can we fry an egg on it real quick? <laughs> Uh, Steve, Steve, he's the stepson. He says that was back in 89. Uh, I believe it was. And, um, at the time I was still in school. I just remember coming home. What's this big box in the front yard? I bet this guy's got the world's most elaborate hand buzzer. Oh, absolutely. It's probably on his calling card. (laughs) We'll give you a shockingly good deal. (laughs) So, and he says, there's an electric chair in my front yard. And, uh, he says, Fred, my uncle were there and, uh, they'd come with crowbars and they had to break open the box and unscrew all the parts. Well, we see Fred, and he's tinkering with a, a crowbar. Okay. And he's just got this grin on his face. <laughs> like, he's just like, Like yeah. a grinchy grin? Yeah, it's Jesus. just like, oh, my God. Well, Steve says, Fuck. there was an electric chair sitting in the front yard. It was very unusual, something I wasn't expecting. I guess Fred was expecting it. It was very difficult getting up and down those stairs with a couple hundred pound piece of oak chair. Of course, before we even brought it inside, we had to have Fred sit down in it and strapped him in. I said, no, thanks. Well, we see a picture of Fred strapped into the chair. God. And Fred says, I processed a couple of uh, rolls of film, photos that I took for engineering purposes, detail stuff. 
so you know. And then I put it on my dating profile. <laughs> so you know how it looked before you took it apart. I went through it and said, wait a minute. What the hell's this? Huh. Well, we had a magnifier, and we were trying to figure out what was in the picture. We saw what appeared to be more than one image. As far as I understand it, certain objects give off auras. Oh, come on. And some objects that have been exposed this to high-intensity electromagnetic fields absorb more of that energy and would give off an aura. I don't know what we photographed. We don't know if we photographed an entity. We don't know what's there. Well, as you just pointed out, I'm sitting here rolling my eyes. Then they show the fucking picture. There's a guy's face. Clearly, an entity's face okay. on the electric chair that Fred photographed. Ah. And it's superimposed. Interesting. It, it's not, it's, it looks creepy as hell. Yeah. In fact, for you listeners, I'll make sure and tweet it out. Yep. You're not going to find it online. No. Guaranteed. Interesting. Um, you looked? Yeah, yeah, I looked. But they show a picture in the film. So yeah. I'll take a picture of that and share it with you because okay. it is very, very creepy. Now, Fred, back to the entity that he's not sure that he caught or didn't catch, he says, the entity may still reside in the pots that are in Tennessee. What I tore that chair apart, maybe it was freed. I don't know. That's assuming there was something there to start with. Because of my work in electrocution, I was contacted by the state of New Jersey to consult with them on the construction of a lethal injection machine. They realized that lethal injection is a difficult, if not impossible, problem even for trained medical personnel. They determined that there should be some kind of machine that would repetitively deliver the necessary chemicals at the proper time intervals for all executions. This completely took the human factor out of it. I studied for several months, and I put together a proposal on how this machine should work. The syringe is driven by a weighted piston that floats on a column of air. And it allows the executee <laughs> executees to take the chemical Check them out. at a rate by our merge executees that his body and vein will accept. The doctors were satisfied. Now they had to make the presentation to the prison officials. The deputy commissioner was sitting there through most of this meeting, very bored. Probably because he didn't understand what I was talking about most of the time. But then he finally heard something he understood. One of the doctors said, Fred designed the helmet that's used on the electric chair in the state of North Carolina. Ooh, ooh, electric chair. Can we get one of those? Can we get one of those? Well, at that point, the deputy commissioner said, stop, wait, stop the meeting. He looked at me and he says, you designed the helmet? The one that they just used in North Carolina? I said, yes. He said, okay, that does it. I got it in execution times. He turned an execution magazine. He turned around to the, the doctors. <laughs> and he says, your helmet revolutionized execution. All right, go on. He says, yeah, I saw your article in execution is weekly. The June 82. Ver <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, that version 1.1.6. Anyway, he says, that's enough for me. Do the necessary paperwork and see that Mr. Lukta gets the contract. Now, what lethal injection? has to do with electrocution is beyond me. Now, 
This is what I call foreshadowing. Uh-huh. Fred says this. He says, now, well, you're in the game of killing people, and uh, instead of, uh, this is what I'm expecting them, their yeah. thing was like, look, this this piece of shit's already in the killing game. Yeah. It's just, there's no need to like go look for Slide another executioner. Figure, yes. Just make the son an executioner and be done with it. They live outside the cities. The king, when the king needs them, they'll bring him in to fucking execute whoever, but he can't get his milk or eggs around. He's got to go somewhere else. Well, Fred continues and says, simply because I'm capable of building an electric chair doesn't mean I'm capable of building a lethal injection machine. They're two totally different concepts. With electrocution, a consciousness takes place in one 240th part of a second. Gas chamber? Within three or four minutes. And with the gallows, it doesn't matter because you're being dropped almost immediately after being brought out under the scaffold. None of these procedures require uh, that somebody lay on a gurney for 35 minutes looking at a ceiling. You have to have the man immobile. He has to be unable to move or else he's going to damage his arm with the catheter. But you certainly can't make it more comfortable. Can't make it more comfortable. You could put him... In a contour chair like they have in their dentist's office. Then he'd at least be sitting up. <laughs> you could give him I, a... I love how he's just like brainstorming. Totally. Great. See, he, they, they got the right man for the job. He's like, you could give him a television. I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm just spitballing here. You could play music. Some pictures on the wall rather than putting him in a concrete room. That's not humane. Well, essentially, the states, they talk to each other. We immediately got Illinois, and we got Delaware. They had a hanging problem that they were totally, totally not able to deal with. What was their hanging problem? Well, they had a gallows that had been stored for 25 have... or 30 years. No, this is what he's saying. He's saying they had yeah, a gallows? They had a gallows problem. Huh. They, so they wanted to retrofit their gallows? Well, here's what happened. The gallows had been stored I'm for 25. They're like, um, Mr. Death. Is, is it Mr. Death or yeah, not? Mr. Mr. Death. Death. Mr. Death. Um, do you think maybe you can also uh, sage the area after uh, <laughs> after you tear it down a little bit? We're scared. We don't want this some... place haunted. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Well, according to um, the the gallows, after they took it out for twenty five years, they put it back together, screwed it together, and the the thing fell over. The only thing left that was functional were the hinges on the trap door. Well, we see footage of Fred building a gallows. So they wanted him to build a new gallows? Yeah. They're like, ours has been rotting. It's like 25 or 30 but years old. But were they still hanging people in 1996? Buddy, they've hanged people in like the Del- last 10 years. Really? I think in so. Delaware? I don't know. No. Um, well, Fred's working on a gallows. And, you know, he's putting the nooses around, you know, hanging them. Playing around with different weight stacks of hay, <laughs> dropping them through the trap doors, trying out different nooses. You could tell he's having a good time. Yeah. The reasoning here. So, actually, quite fun and uh, keeps my mind fresh. The reasoning here is that I build helmets for electric chairs. So now I could build lethal injection machines. I now build. I have, I have, the, <laughs> I have all the licenses required. So, we're going to get to that. Yeah. Oh, I God. now built, we're going to get to that in part two. I'm not going to leave you hanging. Good. I now built lethal injection machines, so I'm now competent to build a gallows. 
And since I'm building gallows, I'm also competent to work on gas chambers because oh, Jesus. I've done all of the <clears throat> other three. What really makes you competent? Well, I know that they use, do they actually gas? Do they gas gonna, kill people? We're going to get to it. Oh, okay. Because I know that like, like I know that the military has gas chambers to like practice in. Buddy, I got a whole Simpsons episode oh, on the gas chamber coming up. Oh boy. So we're going to get into some what really territory makes you, here. What really yeah, makes you to. competent <laughs> is the fact you have the necessary background. You do the investigation. You find out what the problem is. And you solve it. It's not anything different than any other competent engineer would do. The difference is that it's not a major market. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of people. So you got to corner it. It's like, a, it's like a guy who works on fucking baseball machines. There's like three guys in Southern California that know how to fix pitching like machines? the pitching machines. The, the, see, everything's new now. Uh, everybody uses those spinning machines. Yeah. The ones that you stick the ball in. It's got two spinners yeah, yeah, yeah. and it spits it out. But the old days, it was just that arm. They have the arm still in Montebello. Uh, and my okay. buddy's uncle is one of the only guys that can fix those those machines. So he's just set for life. Dude, they, they paid him like eight grand one time to come out to Hawaii to like fix like 10 fucking overarm pitching machines yeah. over there. You had to like fly to different areas of the. That's a nice little industry. Nice little gig, Niche dude. industries are where it's all at, yeah. bro. Yeah. Anyway, back to the uh, not a major market. A lot of people are not interested and are morally opposed to working on execution equipment. They think it's somehow going to change them. As you've probably guessed by now, I am a proponent of capital punishment. I'm certainly not a proponent of capital torture. We must always remember and we must never forget the fact that the person being executed is a human being. One of the things that I had to deal with is the feelings of the people who are doing the executions. The gods that work with the execution equipment are generally the same gods that have dealt with that inmate for the last 5, 10, 15, sometimes 20 years while the man was on death row. The warden, in many respects, is the surrogate father to the inmate who's being executed. He sees that inmate maybe five, six times a week. He's concerned if the inmate is sick, if the inmate doesn't feel well, the general welfare of the inmate. Yeah. Then at the end of <laughs> time, sure does. then at the end of the time, he must take that inmate out, strap him into an electric chair, strap him into the gas chamber, strap him into the lethal injection machine, or put a noose around his neck. Most people think of a hardened criminal as a murderer, as someone who is in a cell and going to be executed. But these people are really no different than somebody that we work with every day. Yeah, I don't maybe know if I buy that. Yeah, maybe the, the guys that he fucking works yeah. with is fucking weirdo. Yeah. Breaking into people's houses and stealing them, probably. The, stealing people to test on his stupid equipment and checking their assholes for... <laughs> We're going to get to that. Oh, this guy. The only difference is the inmate does not go home and the God does. And now at the end of the day, this 10 to 15 year cycle, now they are faced with the task of execution, executing this man with equipment that is defective, with equipment that's going to cause pain. Even with a good execution, you get some burning 
with the electrodes. Sure. It's a very distasteful thing for the god who has to unstrap the inmate from the electric chair after the execution. Normally, if we think of a belt with holes in it and the pin that goes through the holes, that god has to then compress all the flesh and everything on the body. It's oozing. It's been cooked. It has to get the body fluids on his hands. The god is then going to get fluid on his hands. Now I'm thinking to myself, gloves? Yeah. <laughs> Hazmat suits? Solves the problem Blindfold? Easy. Jesus Christ. With the equipment... Retirement? Jesus. With the equipment we designed, not only that, dude, you just be like, you give it to the new guy. That's their fucking yeah, thing. seriously. Fuck. Dude, I no, know this guy for orderlies. 20 years. You, you're not orderly. Yeah, I'm not, not fucking not the killing Kenny the rapist. You're bringing some fucking, you're bringing like, like um, what do they call the fucking? The guy, movie? the executioner with the no, black no, mask. No, no, he doesn't no. even know. There's an, I forgot the name of the people. The, the wolf from like fucking the in, Pulp Fiction. Like the interns for like jail. What are they yeah, called? Yeah, yeah, I forgot yeah. what they called. Um, I can't remember. I don't know like, what you're, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, like they cook and shit. Yeah. I forget the name. With the equipment we designed, all the straps are instant release. They're the same as safety belts in your car. You hit a button and the strap opens. Another thing that we do is our chairs contain a drip pan. Yeah. All executees during the Fucking execution drip. lose control of their bodily yeah, functions. The drip pan. They urinate and defecate in the pants on the chair. This normally winds up on the chair and the floor directly beneath the chair. This is disgusting when this occurs. This is disgusting. It's a very yeah. inhumane thing to allow a person who's being executed, a human being who should be afforded the greatest dignity... Of all, because he's losing his life, it is a disgusting and degrading thing to allow him to defecate and, quite frankly, piss on the floor. That's why you should buy my new T8700 with piss drip pan. He didn't say that. He didn't say that. I threw that. Yeah. I know you too well so. now. <laughs> Additionally, the urine, when it hits the floor, and I don't think everybody knows this, urine is highly conductive. <laughs> it's normally mopped up. I did not know that, by the way. Well, this is more information from our outstanding research department. In case the listeners don't know, Fred is actually correct about the high conductive, conductivity of urine. Okay, Urine isn't an ideal conductor of electricity, but it can carry enough to be harmful. It contains salts and other miner minerals, like calcium, that conduct electricity and its high water content allows it to easily carry a current. However, the human body is a poor conductor of electricity. Thus, the amount of current that could pass through urine is restricted. In other words, boys and girls, let's not go pissing into or on electrical sockets and then touching metal to see what happens. Mm. Good advice for everybody. If there's a second execution or a third execution... And this sometimes occurs when they have more than one execution at the same time. The gods in the death house now have to work and stand on a floor that's dampened and wet with this highly conductive urine. Fortunately, there has never been an accident. Yeah. But it's quite possible for the urine... Selling, he's like using a selling point right now. ...to conduct electricity 
and Shaka God. And nobody should have to place his life in jeopardy because an execution is being conducted. Act now, and you can not only purchase the T-8700 with piss drip pan, but shipping is free. <laughs> 37 easy payments of $29.95. <laughs> this is much the same thing that goes on with the gas chambers. Yeah. With the defective equipment that exists, every time there's a gas execution, it's an accident waiting to happen. There is major da danger of leakage. And I honestly believe, and I wish that those remaining few states that are utilizing gas would do away with the gas chamber and go to lethal injection or some other procedure, which wouldn't place in danger the lives of witnesses and prison officials who have to learn, or excuse me, who have to be at that execution to see the execution conforms to the law. Right. Now, I'm going to ask you to play a little bit more Simpsons music. Okay. Okay, Dave, time to talk in depth about gas chambers. Awesome. Now, Dave, How many have they killed? <laughs> you're probably saying, Chris, why are we taking a massive detour down the gas chamber rabbit hole? A 940 at night, the night before we have to upload a video <laughs> well, after I've been sitting in traffic all day. Much like great documentary filmmakers do, uh -huh. they do a little foreshadowing. All the people I hate the most. Right. So I'm using this okay. to foreshadow What's to come? What about foreskin shadowing? Okay, I'll tell the jokes around here. A gas chamber, as you know, is an apparatus for killing humans, animals, uh, or any other vermin with gas consisting of... Don't call them that. Consisting of a sealed chamber in which they drop in poisonous or asphyxiant gas. Now, typical gases are hydrogen cyanide and carbon monoxide. Well, the history goes back to General Rochambeau. Uh, he developed a rudimentary method in 1803 during the Haitian Revolution. Now, what he did is he fitted cargo ships with sulfur dioxide and suffocated prisoners of war. Okay, now these scales of crime and operations were brought to larger public attention in the book Napoleon's Crimes, which was uh, released in 2005. Now, since that book, a lot of people are questioning the allegations of, he, of whether he did this or not. Well, in America, utilization of the gas chamber was first proposed by Alan McLean Hamilton to the state of Nevada. Since then, gas chambers have been used as a method of execution of condemned prisoners in the U.S. and continue to be a legal execution method in three states, seeing a possible legislated I bet what color those states are <laughs> reintroduction although redundant in practice since the early 1990s <laughs> now lithuania they used a lot does of gas. it name the three states uh i think it does at the end okay lithuania used gas chambers for civilian and penal use in the 30s their last execution was around 1940 uh the soviet union allegedly used the method to perform executions during the great purge now what they did is they used gas vans yeah hell yeah gas vans so prisoners were gassed on the way to the butovo firing range where the nkvd normally executed. Hot box this shit. <laughs> normally executed as prisoners before uh shooting them 
No, excuse me, by shooting them. That's what they normally did. Now, none of these saw mass use, however, and were strictly for criminal purposes, most notably, of course, by Hitler in the Holocaust. Um, That part of the process of, I guess, the final solution was um, noted in Action T4, which later became its genocide program. Now, North Korea... Um, there have been alleged executions performed by gas chambers and prison camps, uh, often combined with medical experimentation. Mm. Now, uh, the Germans, of course, you know, they, they were guilty of massive amounts of murder using gas chambers. Well, beginning in 39, as part of Actian T4 and involuntary euthanasia, programs under the Nazis. They murdered people with, of course, physical and intellectual disabilities. What does uh, the youth of, what does the euthanasia have anything to do with this? It's involuntary euthanasia. I don't get what that what what about the youth in Asia? <laughs> okay. All right. That's all an right. Ollie G joke. All right. Continue. That's that's Stupid. that's <laughs> that's one of the classics, Dave. Thanks for breaking it out there. Uh by the way, my favorite Ollie to G dust that one off. <laughs> My favorite allergy episode of all time is uh, when the guy comes on and he says, um, you know, we're all homo sapiens. And he's like, who are you calling homo? <laughs> so Dude, have you seen it? He gets so- it is my favorite of all time. I's not a homo, man. No, I know. Homo sapiens. Dude, I am not a homo. It is commitment to the bit to the next level. Yeah, it almost gets a little cringy. It does get a little cringy. Okay, so back then, um, the gas chambers used pure carbon monoxide and uh, were established at six killing centers in Germany. All right? Um, killing center. It's, just kill, like, it's what it sounds, says. It sounds like someplace where you go rent execution equipment. Yeah. Killing to the center. Killing center. <laughs> it's like rent a center. I get it. Well, during the invasion of Russia, mass executions by exhaust gas were performed by the Inzatzgruppen. Very good. Did I say it right? Yes. Inzatzgruppen. I have no idea. Well, they were the the, the SS, the faction that was just in charge of genocide. You know what I just realized? Huh? That the SS and the Nazi uniforms? Yeah. Looks awfully similar to the SS and the KISS logo. Yeah, well, you got it backwards. Oh. It started with them and then went to KISS. <laughs> okay. Dummy. Yeah. Obviously, that's what I mean. Okay, just want to make sure. But, are there, but aren't they Jewish? KISS? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, they are. Anyway, they used gas vans, and what they did is they modified the trucks to divert engine exhaust into a sealed interior gas yeah. chamber. Yeah. I didn't know any of office, that. Office, oh, like, you know... Just they like just office space. Oh, they park the car? They just park the car in the garage and run it in the garage and then fucking well, kill yourself. In 41, that's when the gas chambers went into the extermination camps in Poland and, of course, led to the mass murders of, uh, you know, the Jews. And it says Roma. I don't know what that means. This is a city? No, it's got to be some Football sort team? Of, <laughs> I don't know. Roma is, is a football team. Definitely like Roma. Roma okay. is like... Rome in, uh, in Italian. Well, Roma. I'm, um, not, I'm, I'm not even joking. 
they they were looking for more efficient killing methods. And I mean, unless is, there's a city called Roma. And it just says Roma. But what, is, in what regards, in what regards, sorry, repeat the Roma sentence again? It says the gas chambers were used at extermination camps in Poland for the mass murder of Jews, comma, Roma, comma, and other, oh. maybe Roman Catholics. Oh, man. I don't know. Yeah. So anyway, then they're like, um, okay, we need to figure it out and make it more effective. So they moved to hydrogen cyanide. Sweet. So it melts your face. I don't, well, it says hydrogen face. cyanide based fumigant Zyklon B. Okay. Uh-huh, that's right. The, that's, zy- the Zyklones. That's where they who was, who was it again that invented that shit? I don't know. I don't have that information. I thought it was like, it's like somebody, it's like, it's like one of the famous ones, like Dr. Zyklon. Holy shit. You might be right. So anyway, <laughs> this is what they introduced at Auschwitz. And um, also Madiak. Um, I don't know if I'm saying that right. That was another camp. And they were gassing up to 16,000 victims a day. That's crazy. Fucking hardcore. Most extermination camps um, that had gas chambers were dismantled or destroyed in the last months of World War II as the Soviets approached, except for Dachau, uh, Schatzenhausen, and Madienek. One, one destroyed gas chamber at Auschwitz was reconstructed after the war to stand as a memorial. Now, this is interesting. In North Korea, a gentleman by the name of Kwon Hyok, uh, who was a former security of Camp 22, described laboratories equipped with gas chambers for suffocation gas experiments in which three or four people, normally a family, are the experimental subjects. After the subjects were sealed and poison was injected through a tube, scientists observed from, you know, outside through glass. In a report reminiscent of an earlier account of a family of seven, Quan claims to have watched one family of two parents, a son and daughter, die from suffocating gas with the parents trying to save the children using mouth-to-mouth resuscitation for as long as they could before, of course, they died. Now... Um, in Lithuania, in 37 through 40, um, they operated a gas chamber at Alacostas uh, within the first fort of the Canis Fortress. Previous executions were carried out by hanging or shooting. However, these methods were viewed as brutal in January of 37. The criminal code was amended to provide execution by gas, which at the time was viewed as more civilized and humane. Lithuania considered and rejected poison. Unlike the American or German model, the Lithuanian gas chamber is built out of bricks working uh, by inputting compressed lethal gas from an external uh, storage cylinder. Now, in the U.S., gas chambers have been used for capital punishment uh, for death row inmates. And the first person to be executed in the U.S. by lethal gas was G. John. Uh, in February of 1824. An unsuccessful attempt to pump poison gas directly into a cell at Nevada State Prison led to the development of the first makeshift gas chamber to carry out John's death sentence. So um, a couple other notables in 48, uh, Miran Thompson and Sam Shockley were executed in the gas chamber at San Quentin for their role in the Battle of Alcatraz. And in 1957, Burton Abbott was executed uh, as the governor of California at the time, Goodwin J. Knight, was on the telephone to try and stay the execution. 
Well, since the restoration of the death penalty uh, in 76 in the U.S., 11 executions have been conducted, four in Mississippi, two in Arizona, two in California, two in North Carolina, and one in Nevada. Um, the first execution via gas chamber since the restoration uh, was Jesse Bishop, who was executed for murder. And the most recent gas chamber execution was in 1999. Uh, well, here's what happens. In 1980, reports um, are basically saying these people are suffering. You know, this is a really scary, you know, inhumane way to die. Well, in 83, they executed Jimmy Lee Gray in Mississippi. Officials cleared the viewing room after eight minutes while Gray was still alive and gasping for air. The decision to clear the room while he was still alive was criticized, of course, by his attorney. Um, and his attorney noted Jimmy Lee Gray died banging his head against a steel pole in the gas chamber while reporters counted his moans. Um, and then during the April 6, 1992 execution of a man named Donald Eugene Harding in Arizona, it took 11 minutes for death to occur. And the prison Jesus. warden said, hey, if you're doing this shit, I'm quitting. Yeah. And following the execution of Robert Alton Harris in 92, a federal court declared that execution by lethal gas under the California protocol is unconstitutionally cruel and unusual. And by the late 20th century, most states had switched to methods considered more humane, such as lethal injection. And in fact, San Quentin's gas chamber was then... Uh, what do you call it? Converted to an execution chamber for lethal injection. Mm. Well, as of 20- now, they're saying that's fucking inhumane. Oh, is it? Because they're not doing it in the right order sometimes. Or yeah, something. I think you're right. They're like, uh, you know, you're supposed to give them the green one and then the yellow one and then the red one or something. Well, as of 2020, the last person to be executed in the you gas just put chamber. Put that thing in your fucking nose. You like the. There's like a, there's like a, there's like a breathe right strip. It's like a, there's like a CIA or FBI bullshit. I don't know. Maybe oh, it's no, just a put, movie. It's a cyanide pill. You bite into it. No, there's the thing where you do it into your nose and just oh, kills you. It right just away. kills you. Yeah. Well, the last person to be executed in the gas chamber was a German national named Walter Legrand, and he was sentenced to death before 1992, uh, executed in Arizona on March 3rd, 1999. Well, the U.S. Appeals Court in the Ninth Circuit had ruled that he could not be executed by gas, but the decision was overturned by the United States Supreme Court. Um, again, the gas chamber was formerly used in Colorado, Nevada, New Mexico, North Carolina, Oregon, and six states, Arizona, California, Maryland, Mississippi, Missouri, and Wyoming still authorize lethal gas if lethal injection cannot be administered. The condemned committed their crime before a certain date or the condemned chooses to die in the gas chamber. Which would you choose if you had to go gas or needle? Oh, if it's just those two decisions, then just needle me, I guess. You think so? Yeah, I won't fucking die trying to grasp for air while I bang my head against the wall. Well, Ooh, sound like a fucking retard. Well, this is interesting. They talk about the case of Burton Abbott. Um, well, uh, the, the whole thing about this is it's the most dangerous, complicated, and time-consuming and expensive method uh, to kill somebody. 
and it's impossible to halt once you start it. Because a lot of these things come down to the 11th hour when the governor's on the phone at 11.59, right? So the condemned person is strapped into a chair in the airtight chamber, which is sealed. Then the executioner activates a mechanism which drops potassium cyanide pellets into a bath of sulfuric acid that sits beneath the chair, which causes the chemical reaction. While the gas is visible to the condemned, who is advised, take several deep breaths to speed unconsciousness. Mm -hmm. Nonetheless, the condemned person often convulses and drools and may also, of course, urinate, defecate, and vomit. While following the execution chamber, they purge the air out of it, and any remnant gas is neutralized with um, adhydrous ammonia, anhydrous ammonia, after which the body can be removed, with great caution, of course, as pockets of gas can still be trapped in the victim's clothing. Mm. So there, there also is a form of uh, inert gas asphyxiation. Have you heard of this? No. It's nitrogen gas. So cool. what they do is they deprive the air of oxygen. And the idea is you're just going to fall asleep, you know, without any pain. And in 2015, Oklahoma Governor Mary Fallon, she approved a bill allowing nitrogen asphyxiation as an execution method. And uh, three years later, Oklahoma Attorney General Mike Hunter and Corrections Director Joe M. Alba announced a switch to nitrogen gas as the state's primary method of execution. And after struggling for years to design a nitrogen execution protocol, the state of Oklahoma announced in February 2020 that it was abandoning the project after finding a reliable source of drugs to carry out the lethal injections, which tells me somebody had the contract. Oh, I wonder who that is. Well, it wasn't Fred. I'll tell you that much. Uh, In 2018, Alabama approved nitrogen asphyxiation, um, and they were like, yeah, you guys can have your choice. And in September 2022, an execution by lethal injection was stayed by a court because the inmate claimed to have made the election of nitrogen asphyxiation. But it didn't work out for him, so they just killed him. Now, if you want some more further reading on this subject, um, I would suggest the book, um, The Last Gasp, (laughs) The Rise and Fall of the American Gas Chamber. And now, Dave, if you don't mind, can you bring us back into the show with a little Simpsons music? Let's get back to Fred, shall we? Mm -hmm. Being familiar with all of the four systems that we use. Let's go back to Chris. I would much rather be electrocuted, uh, providing that you were going to electrocute me on the system that's in Tennessee. I don't want to be electrocuted in Virginia. I don't want to be electrocuted in Florida. I don't want to be electrocuted in Alabama. I don't want to be Mr. Teferro. Uh, I don't want my eyeballs blown across the room. I'd like the execution procedure to go smoothly. I have often been asked, generally by some type of adverse party, whether I sleep at night or how well I sleep at night. My answer is always the same. I sleep very well at night. And I sleep with the comforting thought of knowing that those persons that are being executed with my equipment that these people have a better chance of having a painless, more humane, and dignified execution. Well, at this point, Earl, being the amazing uh, filmmaker he is, 
um, we see a transition of coffee grounds uh, being scooped into uh, a percolating pot, and then the sounds of coffee bubbling and brewing. Fred. Coffee percolating. Fred. I've uh, been drinking coffee for a long time. Oh, boy. And since I was probably around uh, four or five years old, yes, it's still true. I love coffee. No one is too short. <laughs> I it's think five, it's. Five. I think coffee's running through my veins. Coffee never bothers the ulcer. But I remember, must be 15, 20 years ago, I was at the doctor, and he asked me, how much coffee do you think you drink in a day? And I said about 40 cups. 40 cups? Uh-huh. But, like, back then, like, what are we talking here? Eight ounces? Yeah, eight ounce cup foam, of coffee. Foam little. So he's forty. So he's writing it down. He says, uh, "How much coffee do you drink?" And I said, "I just said forty cups." He says, "How much coffee do you drink?" And I said, "About forty cups." He says, "Look, I'm not kidding." I says, "I'm not kidding either." He said, "Okay, how much do you smoke?" And I said, "About six packs." Oh fuck! <laughs> A day. Holy shit, this guy kills me. Uh, he said six packs of cigarettes, 40 cups of coffee a day. You should be dead by now. Well, if I don't drink the coffee, I get headaches. They're terrible. My body's so used to caffeine that it doesn't bother me. I am asleep before my head hits the pillow. Well, another great shot by, by Earl. We see Fred drinking a cup of coffee in a diner and a waitress hands him a rather sad-looking hamburger on a plate. Uh -huh. Somewhere along the line, she just appeared. <laughs> oh, God. I was a good tipper, and she used to bring me extra coffee. Oh, boy. Well, time to meet Fred's wife, Carolyn. I was a waitress. He was a customer. I mean, at 40 cups a day, it's easier. It's like almost more efficient just to stay at the diner all day. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's fucking... Well, there is something to be said that my grandmother, she would drink coffee all day long. Yeah. And I was a child and I didn't drink it. Right. And then when I was like in high school, I yeah. was like, let me get a cup of coffee. Yeah. And I was like, this is water. Yeah. So they always made really, really weak coffee. Back in the day. Oh, yeah. Because they, could, didn't, they couldn't afford it. I guess. You know, so they just kind of had it on. And then I was like, have you been drinking this all your life? And she goes, absolutely. Mm. And I was like, this is ridiculous. Yes, I don't this is going to take you forever to get a buzz. <laughs> I don't take shit. Couldn't taste anything. Don't taste any caffeine. It's just like mm. piss water. It's just shit water. So, yeah, because I make really, Mud. really dark espresso, but I take two cups and I'm boom. I mean, here's the thing. I got to take drink coffee just to shit. Yeah. Time is of the essence. Sure. I can't swallow 40 cups of fucking coffee, yeah. to, you know, to get my day started. Shitting all day. Anyway, Fred's uh, wife, the waitress, uh, who was pouring him the coffee, he taught me how to shoot. I had a 22. What the fuck? This guy Joe asked me if I knew what Fred did for a living. I said no. And he said he kills people. Kind of surprised me a little until he explained exactly what he did. This lady is has the life ripped out of her. Yeah. She's fucking... Jesus. Are they still married in the end? Like I can't tell you. Oh, okay. It wasn't that he killed people, but he made things that killed people. He was having problems at home with his mother. She wasn't talking to him, and we just got married. You're like, okay, nice to meet you, Carolyn. On screen, the trial... Of Ernst Zundel. 
You ever hear of them? Uh, no. Well, because of my expertise in the uh, construction of execution equipment, I was asked to testify to the defense team of Mr. Ernst Zundel, a German national living in Canada uh, for some 20-odd years, who published a pamphlet. Did six million really die? Okay. Next, we see Zundel and his crew walk into a Canadian courthouse. Okay. Uh-oh. This is a free speech law. Free speech. Uh-huh. Fucking great. We hear the reporter. As in most of his public appearances, Ernst Zundel arrived at court surrounded by report or supporters wearing hard hats. They are bodyguards for a man who says the Holocaust is a myth and who's prepared to argue that before judge and jury. Did I miss like a Simpsons no. episode? Is that that's what? why this just switches out of Jesus. nowhere, and that's why I dropped the gas chamber thing in. Jesus. This shifts from Fred yeah. talking about building execution machines right. and loving coffee. To Holocaust denial. To Holocaust denial in the flip of a switch, pun intended. I wonder if that's propaganda. Well... I, I was we we just took a break and like, I was I asked you we need a we're trying to insert this uh, huh, what's the guy's name Ernst, Ernst Zundel we're trying to insert this Ernst story into one you guys got anything for us oh we got this perfect perfect fucking documentary well, for you to just drop that well into. full disclosure we you and I just took a five minute break yeah. and I said where do you think this pod this doc is going and you said <laughs> I don't know. I think I said anti-Semitism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the, yeah, you did. But the point is, <laughs> I don't know. I, I knew because I kind of t- oh, because I showed you a picture of what Fred looked like. <laughs> yeah, Rick Moranis. That's yeah. right. He looks like Rick Moranis. A he looks little like bit. he looks like he looks like Stephen Hawking in a Rick Moranis suit. Yeah, he just isn't drooling out of his mouth in a right. wheelchair. Uh, he's a goofy-looking guy, though. I'm sorry. So yeah, all of a sudden, vegetative. <laughs> All of a there sudden, we go. vegetative state, comatose, non-response. All of a sudden, we're introduced to this guy, and he's probably 60, 55, bald, and he's walking into court, and he's surrounded. He's wearing a hard hat, Zundel. Okay. Walking into court. With a hard hat. 14 other guys behind him, surrounding him, they're wearing hard hats. Oh. Okay. So, like they're actual hard hats. They don't yeah. just look like hard hats? No, they're legit hard hats. Okay. Well, he's on trial uh, because he says the Holocaust is a myth. Right. Well, keep in mind, this is Canada. So right. he was charged uh, under a rarely used section of the criminal code that he published statements that he knew were false and statements that could cause racial intolerance. Well, it's time to meet revolutionist, or excuse me, revisionist publisher and broadcaster Ernst Zundel. 45 years of undetermined hatred is enough. The Holocaust is nothing but undetermined hate propaganda posing its history. And I, with the help of my friends from around the world, Jews and Gentiles, am going to finish the Second World War. I guarantee you. We see another interviewer from him. We could solve the mystery of the gas chambers in Auschwitz and all these other places if we find an American expert. Because America is the only country that dispatches people with gas. 
You can open up the book and say gas, then chamber, then experts, and out come Ted Fred Luktas. No, there's nobody. Fred Lukta was our only hope. <laughs> you can see where this is going, I think. Yes. Well, Fred says, we were married for less than a month. Oh, God. And we went. Although she didn't like to hear it, I know. And we went? Yeah, he, I'll get to what went is. Oh. Normally, I tell her that was her honeymoon. Oh. That's not a particular place to go we went for to Canada for the. Oh, they went to their. Oh, I thought they went to like the. He wanted to go testify on his honeymoon. He went to Poland. Yeah. Great. Okay. To go check out some chambers. Uh huh. Oh, well, you can't send a Jewish guy over there. He's not Jewish. Oh, he's not Jewish? Fred Luchter's not Jewish. Oh, what is he? They don't say. Oh. He's not Jewish. Oh, well, are you sure? I'm positive. Okay. Because he says I have Jewish friends and non-Jewish friends, and he doesn't refer to himself as Jewish. So he's clearly not Jewish. Positive. Okay. Stop giving me that look. I just I I've saw watched the, the documentary. I saw the dude. Okay. Oh, oh God. <laughs> I saw what he looked like. I saw what he sounds like. Yeah. I heard what he sounds like. No. All right, all right. He says, Poland. Every American, it would be good for them to go visit there. Then they would have appreciated what we've got here. Specifically, I brought Carol and my draftsman, Howard Miller. Well, we see Fred and Carolyn for the first time, and she's not a looker. Okay? Yeah, I bet. I mean, neither is he. Sent with us from Canada was a cinematographer who videotaped everything we did. And a translator who's fluent both in German and particularly in Polish. We were small, but we had everything we needed. Well... Now we see a montage of videos, black and white, and it's a lot of signage for concentration camps mm -hmm. with the skull and crossbones in geographic regions in Poland, uh, along with footage of them in a small airplane flying over the city. Now to reiterate, Dave. Okay. It's Fred. Yeah. It's Carolyn. Okay. It's a cinematographer. Right. And a translator. And then Fred smiles. Right. And he goes full teeth. Uh -huh. And you see his gums, and they're just covered with coffee and nicotine. Ugh, nasty. Well, next we see a video of Fred standing in front of Auschwitz. Oh, boy. Good morning. Good morning. Yeah. My name is Fred Lokta. Okay. I'm an engineer from Boston in the United States. And I'm here on this snowy morning here. In Auschwitz, is in this Poland. guy gonna return? Is this now Fred Luchter gonna become a Holocaust denier too? I can't say. Oh my God, <laughs> he is! Say. I can't believe he went to Poland. What's going on here, dude? What's what's happening with this fucking documentary? Let's go. The date is February twenty eighth. It's approximately February twenty eighth, huh? Ten thirty a.m. Was it a leap year? And I'm here to examine this alleged gas chamber. Some people feel it was an air raid shelter. Other people feel that it was simply a morgue. And then there are those that feel the structure functioned as a gas chamber for sending people on their way to their death. 
Well, he goes in the gas chamber and he's wearing a heavy winter coat. It's very cold. And he starts measuring the walls with a tape. He's doing the door frames and he's doing the floor of the gas chamber. And then all of a sudden he pulls out a chisel. Okay. (laughs) And it goes to the wall and he just starts clinking away at it, right? Yeah, I want to test test the rocks Uh later. See how much. Now, I'm sitting here going, who gave him permission to do this shit? Yeah. This has got to be... Some Mossad shit, right? The, yeah. Like, it's, it's, I mean, this is sketchy. Well, then yeah. the piece like... What year is he doing this in? 90s or 80s or 90s. Must be. Probably the, 80s. Because the documentary came out in 1990. Yeah, I think it was probably 80s, 90s. Like early, late 80s. Late 80s, early 90s. He's so this chiseled. is like right after World War, right after, right after um, like the Berlin Wall yeah, fell. Yeah, the wall's pro- definitely down. Okay. So then. He could have uh, been over there. Yeah. So he's chiseling away and a piece of like the wall falls down and then he rummages through his uh, coat pocket, picks up what he took off, opens up the coat pocket, grabs a Ziploc bag and just eh, throws it in there. Okay. The point is, this is not looking legit at all, okay? And he's not very good at what he does. Trying to discredit the Holocaust tonight, are we? (laughs) Well, let me put it to you this way. When I do uh, scientific research, I already have my labels pre-written out. He's not even writing a Sharpie. Yeah. Like, this is from section blank of crematoria three or whatever. He's just fucking bagging and tagging. Damn, I want ice cream now. Okay. Carol was outside at one of the entrances, essentially freezing. She was one of our lookouts. <laughs> oh, well, you okay. We had her at one door. The translator was at the other door. Howard, my draftsman, and myself were inside, taking measurements and recording the locations and bagging the samples, and the cinematographer was making videotape. So everybody was busy doing something they're supposed to do. We didn't have any extra people. We made uh, paint scrapings and chiseled plasters from uh, locations that are not immediately noticeable, but were still proper locations for condensation of cyanide gas. We made uh, detailed scale drawings of the rooms with arrows showing the location that was removed. The notebook, videotape, and the drawings were given to the court and became part of the permanent evidence. Well, next we meet a historian by the name of Robert Jean Van Pelt. And he says the following as we see very haunting images of these gas chambers. Zundel is on trial for publishing false history, for publishing books of Holocaust denial. He needs to prove what others see as false history, is true history. Fred Luchter is their trump card. He will be the scientist who will reclaim from those ruins evidence that killing didn't happen there. Holocaust denial for me is so revolting. And the way for me not to immediately become who's, sick... Who's talking right now? I just told you. Robert Van Pelt, the historian. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah, but like, okay, so he's a historian. He says... Uh, Now, I'm sick of having to deal with Lukter. So I said, okay, I'm going to map his journey. 
I have a job to do. And my job, my first job is to try and understand where this guy was at what time and to take the tape that he made and record every camera angle, where it was, what piece of wall they were looking at, and where he took the samples. It was important to be able to follow that trail very, very precisely. I wanted to see how he had done it, okay? So we see the actual footage of, uh, you know, Fred, and he's like, hey, 61 feet, yep, Fred, from wall to wall, 61 feet. Well, Luther says, or Van Pelt says, Luther is a victim of the myth of Sherlock Holmes. A crime has been committed. You go to the site of the crime with a magnifying glass. You find a hair of speck of dust on the shoe. Luther thinks that this is the way reality can be reconstructed. But he's no Sherlock Holmes. He doesn't have the training. It was not that he brought any experience the specific experience needed to look at ruined buildings. The only experience he had was design modifications for the Missouri gas chambers in Jacksonville. Carolyn. Yeah. Birkenau. I never went in. I stayed in the car. No keys. I froze my whatever off. Oh, I was in the car. Lady. I was in the car for hours. I brought books to read. Mystery books and crossword puzzles. I do a lot of crossword puzzles. I didn't consider it my honeymoon. Let's put it this way. I don't know that we ever slept in the same bed while we were there. I try to forget about going there. Yeah, this guy was fucking his gimp in the fucking he's downstairs mar- in the out of Zed's. He's <laughs> married to his work. Yeah. And he was like, honey, yeah. Um, Guess where we're going on your honeymoon? Yeah. A concentration camp. That's right. <laughs> in Poland during the winter. <laughs> Literally in February. <laughs> the worst time to go, probably. I should note that everything that was done was done in the best possible taste. Have you ever heard the term one pole to rule them all? <laughs> That's pretty good. Understanding that these things are national shrines and national monuments. The only thing yeah. that was a little bit harrowing or frightening is that I didn't want to get caught. Unfortunately. Caught from what? You have to make a lot of noise when you're chiseling brick guy, out dude. of a concentration camp wall. Yeah. Jesus Christ. <laughs> this guy, dude. This is like grave robbing almost. <laughs> Pretty much. I mean, I and mean, they look, filmed it. Look, they're gas chambers. They filmed it. I, 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 I don't know necessarily know why they're like, they're not like, they shouldn't be sacred land. <laughs> what do you mean? I mean, I guess that they're historical, but like. I, they're absolutely sacred land. <laughs> but I mean, they're, 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 I mean, they're essentially graveyards. <laughs> I know. I mean. Sh- yeah. Well, Van Pelt says, Aus- yeah. I, 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 hey, take Van Pelt's word. He says, Auschwitz is like the Holy of I Holies. I don't trust the Dutch. He says, I prepared <laughs> years to go there and have to have a fool come in, coming completely unprepared. It's sacrilege. Yeah. Somebody who walks into the Holy of Holies and doesn't give a damn. And the next, this is such a great transition. All of a sudden, we cut to Fred, and he's got this big overcoat on. Okay. And he's just chiseling away with the biggest smile on his face, just shit-eating grin and chiseling. 
It's so fucking I'm going to prove none of these Jews were killed. That's, I think that's... Well, he's going into it with an open mind. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Jesus. Maybe. I mean... Oh, wow. He's going to have some older dirt on him. Some. Let's just say I, I used to wear a sheet on my head. I expected to see facilities that uh, could have been used as gas chambers. I expected to see areas that were explosion-proof. I expected to see areas that were leak-proof. There have been... There have to be holes in walls or areas where they had exhaust, you know, for the fans and pipes. There has to be something to remove the gas after it's been put into the room. Yeah. There has to be some kind of device to heat the chalk pellets and sublimate the gas to get it to go into the air. These things did not exist. Yeah. Well... Then we see some very haunting images of Van Pelt walking around the ruins. And you think, I thought it was going to be bigger than it was. Okay. It's, they're kind, they kind of look like ancient ruins. They're like well, maybe, 60 feet. Well, no, I mean, <laughs> I they're like only like two or three feet tall now. Yeah. Because everything's been like just taken down um, for various reasons, which we'll get into. And Van Pelt says Auschwitz is a very, very different place than it was during the war. Everything has changed four or five times since that camp operated as an extermination camp. The barracks are 50 years old. They're moldy. They smell bad. It's not a smell of war. It's a smell of decay, of 50 years of being exposed to the elements. There's no way that when you go to the crematoria, you will really understand what it was to be led there as a victim to have to undress and be led to the gas chamber. And when you are in the building archive, it is possible to reimagine what the place was like during the war. Well, we see what he's talking about because he goes to the archive, Van Pelt, and we see just very clean blueprints and engineering very detailed documents, extremely intricately, you know, design structures that look nothing like what Fred is just floundering through outdoors. Right. And he says, the first time I came to the archive, I was stunned. I had found a mission. I had found a task. I had found a vocation. When you go to Birkenau, there's very little left. And to suddenly have in that room that concentration of evidence, there is a tactile reality, an incredible texture. The texture of making that camp. If Luchter had gone to the archives, if he'd spent time in the archives, he would have found evidence about ventilation systems, evidence about ways to introduce Cyclone B into these buildings, evidence of gas chambers, undressing rooms. But then, of course, I don't think he knows German, so it wouldn't have helped very much. Well, he introduces some telegrams. 26th of February, 1943. 20 after 6 p.m., telegram to Topfork Erfart. Send immediately 10 gas detectors. Invoice us later. Signed, Pollock SS Untersturmfuhr. 
Mm. An, what do you think an understurum Fuhrer is? I don't know, but it <laughs> sounds like it's under the Fuhrer. I think you're right. Uh, here's another one. Uh, Auschwitz. Six. Well, those are just gas checkers. <laughs> I'm just trying to see if you know, they're trying to see if there's any gas. In there. Yeah, well, hey, we're building this new building. <laughs> we want to make sure there's no radon underneath the building. <laughs> yeah. We want it to be as, as safe as possible. Auschwitz, 6 March 1943. Subject, crematoria two and three. In accordance with your suggestion, cellar one should be preheated. At the same time, we would ask you to send an additional quotation for the air extraction installation in the undressing room. SS Sturmenfuhrer Bischoff. Well, then we see the images of the crematoria ovens. Yeah, maybe one oven we had. Um. <laughs> that was just for the guys in the barracks. This is in testing they, phase. Like a wood oven pizza every now and then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But when you see these images, dude, it's a, it's a haunting reminder yeah, of just, dude. I mean, you f you forget. I hadn't seen this stuff in years. Yeah. Uh, 31. Gotta get down to that Skirball Museum. Uh, I've never been. Is it good? Oh, yeah, it's great. Yeah? Better than... Uh, they have one of Hitler's guns there, like his rifle or something, not his handgun. Oh, really? He's like known as a handgun marksman, but... I didn't know that. But like his... But like, I think his handgun is like worth a shit ton. Well, obviously, I mean, he, I think he kills himself with it. Yeah, have you ever been but, to the Museum of Tolerance? Yes. What's that like? Uh, that They had an Armenian exhibit there for a while, too. Yeah. Uh, and I want to say are the, the lines, Skirball are also Are the lines long? Were they tolerable? Yeah, stupid. <laughs> hey, buddy, it's I know my I've, turn to drop we, one. We, 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 every year, like... Every few years, we'd go to one of those, like Museum of Tolerance, yeah. Skirball, Getty. Glendale, um, uh, the public library in Glendale had an amazing one about four years ago I went to. And um, they had all of the the different colored patches that they you would put on. Oh, shit. What are the, sh what are the shoulder pads? I, I forgot what they're called. I'm Let's, talking about on... Oh. Um, the the uh, on the Jews. Oh yeah, there were like the pink triangles, the yellow triangles, and they oh. went through all the differentiations of what meant what. Yeah. What it was very fascinating. Um, Thirty-one March, nineteen forty-three. Three gas-tight doors have been completed. We remind you of an additional order for the gas door for crematorium three. This must be made with a spy hole with double eight millimeter glass. This thick. order is particularly urgent. Signed, SS Major Bischoff. Now, there is a great cinematic moment here. They show the spy hole, and they show the eye looking in to yeah. that yeah. Uh, gas chamber. It's very well done. Well, according to Van Pelt, there was a code. The Germans had a coded language. You never talked about extermination. Mm. You would always talk about special action or special treatment. It was a clear policy. Words like gas chamber would not be used. The letter of Bischoff of the 29th of January is a kind of exception in this because it is a letter which is written by a person who manages the whole operation and who himself had established a policy that you would never use the words gas chamber. Well, somehow somebody in the architecture office underlined the word Vergen Sungskeller, which means... Literally, chamber of gas, gassing basement, uh, yeah. and put on uh, a top uh, a note SS Understurum Fuhrer Kreinstent exclamation point. This means Kreinstent should be informed about this slip up. It never occurred after that. The Nazis were the first Holocaust deniers because they deny to themselves 
that it's happening. Okay, let's get back to uh, Ernst Zundel. Now, you remember who Ernst is? Yeah, right? the Canadian, the guy that's yeah, in Canada. The guy that's like, hey man, I got this paper yeah. out. You know, so there's yeah. nobody died in the Holocaust. And there's no free speech in Canada, as we know. Well, there is. It has limitations. Sure. Which I guess means there's no free speech. <laughs> sure. Uh, when my doubt about the Holocaust first came to me, it took me two and a half years. I was like a reforming alcoholic. I was like one yo-yo, back and forth. Believe, not believe, maybe believe, false believe, <laughs> true belief. Fred was able to purge his own mind within a matter of a week. That's amazing to me. So I said, Fred, what convinced you? He said, Ernst, it wasn't what I found. <laughs> it was what I didn't find that blew me away. It never, ever occurred to me that a man could be convinced by something that is not there. That's what Fred said. Well, another picture of Fred chipping away at bricks. Before I went, I had no idea of their purpose. I just knew that there were concentration camps. I knew because I was taught that they had gas executions there. But I subsequently found out that the concentration camps were, in effect, slave labor camps. It doesn't make much sense that they would take an entire force of slave labor and execute them. <laughs> you get into a situation where you start thinking about what happened. You look at the facilities. None of it seems to make any sense. If I were to take one of the facilities... And attempt to conduct a Let's gas... Let's play a little game of if I was Hitler. <laughs> it's something to always do. Great. Put yourself in Hitler's shoes. <laughs> if I was attempting to conduct a gas uh, execution in them today, and the facilities haven't changed at all since 1942 or 41. Now, by the way, any idiot can look at this and say they've completely changed. Right. The buildings are gone. You know what I mean? Yeah. You're just underground. Yep. Anyway, in effect, I do, I kill myself and everybody helping me do the execution. If this is what the buildings look like, that's what he's saying. I suddenly don't have a death wish. And right. I don't think the German SS had a death wish. If those facilities could be made competent for an execution, I would be the one that would able be able to do that. I assure you nobody else uh, could do it better than I could. Now, this guy's just nuts at this point. Yeah. He's essentially playing God yeah. and saying, there's no way these Germans could do it if I couldn't do it in the right. facilities that are left, you know, like the ruins of fucking, what's that one uh, in the big San one? San Quentin? No, the, no, the Gogoblia Tepe. That's oh. what these fucking things look like. Oh. Do you know what I mean? Gobekli Tepe? Yeah. They, they look, look like giant teas? No, I just mean that they're... Ruins. They're ruins. They're not like... Yeah, the, oh. Well, Gobekli Tepe is not a ruin necessarily, but okay. Whatever. It's a bad example, but I get what you mean. It's a great example. That's what it looks off. like. Gobekli Tepe is pristine. Dude, it, was, it doesn't look like a fucking concentration camp building. It's not no. 40 feet high in the air. You mean like it's like... It looks like it's... There's like half of its... Like, there's walls missing. 90% of it's gone. Oh, okay. It's then, just yeah. a foundation. You gotcha, fucking, gotcha, gotcha, fucking around. It looks like, like Gaza. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Van Pelt says, 
Lichter was has like, go said, back. So just just so I'm sure. Yeah. Just so I know. Go back to Tepe is like it's meant to look the way it it, it does. Yeah. And it's pristine. There it was Correct. covered. I understand okay, okay, what okay, you're okay. saying. But but I, I see but what you mean. It's not a six thousand years ago. You, it's a, you know it's not a complete right, structure. Right. A thirty foot building was a big deal. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Seventy years ago. I know what you these mean. were monument. I mean, these are massive buildings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's only like you know, there's walls missing you, and all you, kinds of the ruins. walls are I gone. What, I see what you mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Van Pelt says Lecter has well, said, "Gotta get rid of the evidence." A new on a number of times that the place wasn't touched will open your eyes. You realize this is utter nonsense. Virtually every brick, which was located in 1944 in one place, has been relocated to another place. How convenient. Where all the bricks? Where are all the bricks from the crematoria? Well, it's an interesting question. Ah. <laughs> There's some mountain of bricks in crematorium five, but for the rest, there are no bricks. Ah. Well, I think I know where they are. Uh-huh. The real places to sample are the farmhouses to the west of the crematoria. Oh boy. The farmhouses where people are living. Children are playing, dogs are barking. Well, these were rebuilt after the war with the bricks from the crematoria. Yeah. That's a pretty frightening thought. Yeah. To know yeah. that, you know, the, the your home that you're living in was built with walls where people were, you know. Unless you're a Nazi or a Nazi supporter, then you're like, yeah. pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. Pretty cool if you ask. We got some free bricks out of it. Anyway, you know, he's like, the site's been turned inside out. What was inside the camp is now outside the camp, and inside you have a big void. Well, Fred says, and this is from his vintage videographer, we are standing at Cramatil. At one of the alleged holes where the SS officers threw in the hydrogen cyanide material. Now, they show this. It's just a hole in the ground, and it doesn't even look remotely like what it was supposed to in 1940. I, not to me. Yeah. And he says, as you can see, it's a rough cut opening with metal reinforcing rods. So I have a question. He was found a hole in the ground. Was this guy like paid by who? He was to paid go? by Zundel. Oh. As a fucking expert defense witness. Okay. So it was them. There wasn't like an impartial. So, okay. He was hired by the defense team to okay. do this. Okay. Directly. Yeah. But he just found some fucking hole in the ground. Yeah. Obviously, it's man-made, but then he says, looks at the camera, he says, I am now about to descend through a hole in the roof in the gas chamber at Cremato to retrieve samples from the below structure. I was saying to myself, Fred, do you really want to go down there? So you can, you got to watch out by chipping, but all of a sudden you're going to be lowered into a hole? Yeah. Some crazy shit's going on over here. I said, Fred, do you really want Some to go down? government involvement going on over here, I think. I don't think so. No. Well, it goes with the territory. Like, we need you for an operation in Poland. You're going to say you're going to go collect these bullshit things. But what, really, what, what we government? need you to do is, I don't know. We yeah, need, we need you to get that out yet. We need, no. to, we need you to kill the Polish prime minister of whatever. All right, go on. Anyway. He says it goes with the territory. I can't kill anybody. I got to go down in the hole. With my hands, I need my machine. So he gets down in the hole and he's like, excellent. Excellent. Oh, great. Can't actually stand up here, though. So he's in a room 
yeah. that's just covered with debris and rocks and water, and he can barely stand up. Yeah. And he's like, uh, not sure if the whole thing is going to just fall down on me at any moment. Oh, beautiful. Got a beautiful piece of the roof. Uh-huh. A sample from the roof that I am now bagging. <laughs> okay. Now I will find another sample of brick from the wall we were not able to get at from the surface, which is over here. I am going out of view, and I will see what I can find. And Fred says, it was cold, it was wet, it was kind of spooky. It must feel like the same way somebody feels when they go into a tomb that they've opened for a couple of thousand years later, and you don't know what you're going to see. I didn't know if I was going to see somebody's skeleton or bones or whether or not there were going to be animals in there. That would not have been a particularly good place to encounter some kind of wild animal. Yeah. I have a sample of the concrete from the alleged pillar that carried the hydrocyanic acid into the chamber. You're like, how the fuck are you connecting these dots, bro? You're in a hole and you can't see a damn thing. Yeah. You just happen to find a sack. (laughs) It would be nice if I could obtain a floor sample. That's a potato sack. Which I feel, which I will seek to the lowest spot. I am now at floor level, and the floor is covered with water. I will obtain some material from the bottom. Um, mm, the bottom of the sediment from the bottom, which should contain residual cyanate. Well, how do you think he retrieves the, the water? Uh, I don't know. He oh. just grabs his hand. Oh, of course. <laughs> he just cups his hand. He cups his hand, pours it into, pours the, it into a like Ziploc bag. Man, what a fucking maroon. <laughs> what adult. Okay, there might not much be more for me to do down here. I will now ascend to the surface. <laughs> fucking guy. So Van Pelt says, okay, let's go slightly back. Now Van Pelt is watching this video. Yeah. And he's like, rewind this shit, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the- <laughs> <laughs> you see it rewinds. <laughs> and you, you more pictures of him just, you know, in uh, Fred just chipping away at the walls, juxtaposed with Robert in this very hollow ground. And he says, uh, so Kramer Tomb, too, was the most lethal building in Auschwitz. In the 2,500 square feet of this one room, More people lost their life than any other place on the planet. 500,000 people were killed. That's pretty impressive. I mean, not impressive, amazing when you think a 2,500 square foot room. Yeah. Like my house is what, 1,500 square feet? Yeah. Maybe on a good day, you get 50 people in here. (laughs) That one space, half a million people died. Just cram them in. I mean, that's just crazy the amount of turnover that they, I mean, it's pretty pretty powerful when you see this. And he says, if you want to draw, uh, draw a map of human suffering, if you create the geography of atrocity, this would be the absolute center. Well, when you're in bo- skin and bones, it's pretty easy to get 2,500 people in there. Oh, Dave. Every year, <laughs> remains of human beings are found. Bones, teeth, the earth does not rest. What happened at all of these facilities undoubtedly a mystery. 
Whether or not these facilities were used for gas execution, that's not a mystery. I don't believe they were. Because in my best engineering opinion, I don't think they could have been. It's a tough job to execute several hundred people at once. Uh, We have a hard job executing one man. I think it would be easier to shoot them or hang them. I probably uh, could do a reasonably good job of uh, building multiple gallows and hanging 50 people at once. I probably could uh, execute more people in a shorter time frame. Why didn't they just shoot them? (laughs) Bullets would have been cheaper than doing this. Why didn't they just blow them up? Why didn't they just take them down to a mine and seal the mine off? Maybe we're going to find an execution chain under Berlin uh, with 3,000 electric chairs lined up someday. I don't know. It just doesn't uh, seem to make any sense. I had a couple of heavy bags of samples, which we mixed into our dirty laundry. I know, underwear and all sorts of things because we figured the customs people, yeah, they might be not willing to yeah. go through, you know, our dirty Obviously. laundry. Stupid. In the event we got caught, we did have a contingency plan. I had maps of Austria, Czechoslovakia, East Germany, and we would have made some kind of ground flight across one of those countries to either get to Austria or uh, West Germany. We could have uh, just essentially taken off and hope we made it to our border before somebody figured out what was going on. They probably wouldn't have chased me immediately because I would have, from a practical standpoint, just been a vandal, chiseling holes in their wall. I was never so relieved when we passed through the West German passport control because at least I hadn't chiseled any away of the West Germans' national shrines. Oh, thank God. (laughs) All of the forensic materials that I uh, brought back to the United States and sent to a lab here in Massachusetts... that was highly Let recommended. Let me see if I can get a piece of the wall before I go, actually. They were not told uh, what the samples were or where they came from. They were told that these materials would be involved in a court case relative to an industrial accident and that they should be prepared to testify if they should certify all of the samples. All of their tests came back. And they did several types of tests to determine whether or not there was any hydrogen cyanide. They were negative. These facilities never saw any gas. For virtually 40-odd years, I believed unquestionably that there were gas chambers at those concentration camps. When I found out there weren't, my next question is, what do I do about it? Well... Yeah, We now see a page from the Aryan Nations newsletter number 71 titled Special Edition to Aryan Nation Subscribers. This is such an interesting podcast before. The Lukter Report, the end of a myth. Oh, God, I'm sure I've seen this on the internet a million times. An engineering report on the alleged execution chambers at Auschwitz-Birkenau-Madjenek, Poland. I completed my report. Uh Uh-huh. And I testified at the trial. <laughs> the judge. Whatever happens after that is not my fault. <laughs> Look, I was hired to do a job and simultaneously take my wife on a honeymoon. It worked out. I was now, killing two birds with one stone. Now, just because the Grand Wizard of the KKK 
was interested in my work shouldn't really refute any of it. Um, the judge would not accept the report into evidence. <laughs> so what the judge did is he accepted the report as an informational exhibit as opposed to evidentiary exhibit. Uh-huh. And <laughs> yeah, the judge is like, are you kidding me, man? I, you think I can? You can think I can give make it call that evidence? Well, what does that mean? Is that like a participation trophy? Yeah, it's, it means that like I don't fucking know. There's probably some kind of shit in like some of these rules too. That like, what if the gut? What if what if a court of Canada is convinced that the Holocaust didn't happen? What kind of repercussion does that? Make for yeah, the I think country right. of Canada. Yeah, they're probably like, be Look, like bro, we, we don't have the best uh, freedom of speech laws, but we're not gonna fucking allow you to say the Holocaust didn't exist, <laughs> yeah. bro. Um, we're, I mean, do we have to? We're pay part them? of NATO and shit, bro. <laughs> I feel like we have to like pay some money back if we do that. Um. So anyway, uh, every bit of the information in that report had to be testified under oath onto the record. Right. Well. Time to meet revisionist historian and well-known Holocaust denier David Irving. You yep. Know, you know him? Oh, I know him well. Do you really? David Irving, sure. Yeah, I never heard of him. Oh, yeah. It was, is, I thought he's a KKK guy. No, you think of David Duke. Oh, yeah. That's what I'm thinking of. My, My publishing imprint in England, Focal Point <sighs> Publications. We published the Luke Dill Report. I definitely don't know this guy. I can't remember where I first met him. He It's uh, not the kind of person you would... Uh, who would strike you. He's a mouse of a man. He's also a man who is totally honest and totally innocent. Innocent in the sense of being a simpleton. He went into this as a glorious adventure. He was taken out of oblivion. He was given the task to perform. He traveled abroad, probably for the first time in his life, to <laughs> Poland. He came back with these earth-shattering results. The big point, there is no significant residue of cyanide in the brickwork. That's what converted me. When I read that in the report in the courtroom in Toronto... Sounds like you wanted to be convinced. ...came a hardcore disbeliever. Uh-huh. Time to check in with Ernst Sundell, who's on trial, as we know. Right. On April 20th, 1988, Adolf Hitler's birthday, Fred Lukter, not knowing he's going to be delivering a birthday president to the Fuhrer. God. Steps into the witness box in Toronto. Devastation reigns all around. The prosecution and the judge were in a visible state of panic. I could see the facial muscles working in the judge. I could see the pale face of the prosecutor. This was history making. This was clear to everybody present. They cross-examined uh, Fred immediately, of course. They zeroed in on his soft or inadequate academic credentials for what it was doing. The judge made a decision that could have been very dangerous to us, and he said, the samples by themselves are worthless unless the defense can bring the man who did the testing. Well, let's meet that man. Okay. Chemist Great. James Roth is called to the stand. Oh, Mr. And he Roth. Says, says, I went to Toronto on very short notice, not knowing any of the background of what was going on. Yeah, they wanted somebody... Like fucking Jesus, guys. They wanted somebody from the lab to say, yes, we analyzed this, you know. Yeah, I know, I know. Yeah, well, we produced this report on the analysis, and that's what I was there to do. 
I don't think Lecter, uh, his results have any meaning. There's nothing in our data that says those surfaces were exposed or not. Even after I got off the stand, I didn't know where the samples had come from. I didn't know which samples were which. And it was only at lunch that I found out what the case involved. Well, hindsight, of course, is 2020. The test was not the correct one to have been used for the analysis. Mm. He presented us with rock samples anywhere from the size of your thumb up to the size of your fist. Well, we broke them up with a hammer so we could get a subsample. Then we place them in a flask. We throw in the sulfuric acid, right. and it undergoes a reaction. It produces a red color solution. It is in the intensity of this red color that we can relate with cyanide concentration. And you have to look at what happens to cyanide when it reacts with a wall. Where does it go? How far does it go? Cyanide is a surface reaction. It's probably not going to penetrate more than 10 microns. Human hair is 100 microns in diameter. So crush the sample up. I've just diluted that sample 10,000, 100,000 times. If you're going to look for it, you can only look for it on the surface. There's no reason to go deep because it's not going to be in there. Which was the exposed surface? I have no idea. That's like analyzing paint on the wall by analyzing the temper that's behind it. Mm. If they go in with blinders on, they will see what they want to see. What was he really trying to do? What was he trying to prove? We'll find out next week on (laughs) Down on the Docks, episode 68, when we get to the verdict. Dave, what do you think is going to happen? Um... Uh oh, maybe something ironic like, like uh, what's Ernst gets the chair? Oh, Ernst is gonna get the chair. Yeah, and it's gonna be the chair. I might be able to help you with that. <laughs> it's gonna be the chair that he fucking. Uh, so is that why you you said that this guy is not Jewish? Is because he's a Holocaust denier? No, because he makes it very clear when he's talking later on in the documentary. Oh, okay. That. You know, he's like, I got Jewish friends. If yeah, he he had Jewish friends, he would have said, I'm Jewish. There's, you know. Not necessarily true. Yeah, well, trust me. Once okay. you hear what I say in part two, sure. you're going to be pretty convinced. Here's well, the thing. If you were going to make a documentary about this yeah. and he was a Jew, that would be the title of the No, the, the I, film. I don't think, they, I don't think uh, they would want that. Well, let me put it this way. There's no I, way he's Jewish okay, because they would have made that very clear. I, I don't agree with you there, but I, I'll concede. Well, but you didn't see the film. You're right. I didn't. Okay. Earl Morris is not going to let that ball I'm just drop. saying I don't, I don't see the motive to like say that he's okay, Jewish. But here's and the thing. It, and you saw worse. a picture of this guy and you're like, that guy's a Jew. <laughs> fucking A, yeah, I did. I've seen ducks before, dude. Ducks? They walk like him. Uh, they talk like him. Nah, they quack. No, nah, he's definitely, okay. definitely um, not Jewish. Okay. Definitely not a Jew. Jew or not a Jew? What's that from? That's from Adam Carolla's show. Oh, uh, okay. Got it. Um, so anyway, um, I hope you guys enjoyed part one of the Halloween special, uh, what we call around here, Halloween in November, November. part two, we're going to wrap up Novemberween. We are going to wrap up next week. Um, now Dave, 
Yeah. If you don't mind. Sure. Can you remind people what to do to help us out on our podcast? Follow us on Instagram, Twitter. Find us on Twitter at DownTheDocs. Find us on Instagram at DownTheDocsPod. Send us email at gmail at DownTheDocs at gmail.com. Go for it. Dave, um, by the way, make a note. Uh, I want to get uh, a special uh, Discord sound for every time I read reviews. Don't okay. Put that in your brain for next sure. week. This week's review is from our good friend, Ralph Ganestein. Ralph Ganestein. Stan. I'll never be able to say it right, say it right a.k.a. Dave Johnson II. He says, Chris and Dave should get a kickback from the streaming services. They give the docs <laughs> new life. Yeah. Make them interesting, even if the documentaries are shit like this one. Yeah. It put me right to sleep. Yeah, thank God. <laughs> so, Dave, we appreciate your thank, honesty. Thanks for Afghanistan. And, uh, yeah, thanks, man. That's the whole point. We recover shit documentaries and make them interesting so then you don't have to watch them. Um, so with that, Dave, uh, we will see you guys next week for part two, episode 68 of Mr. Death. The Rise and Fall of Fred A. Lukter Jr.